Philippians 3 as the young people are dismissed to junior church. Uh, what a blessing. You know, you, you, it's, it's been a theme that the Lord has been uh, using this morning in the music uh, to recognize that I'm not going to heaven because I'm good enough. I am not good enough to be what God wants me to be. But you can't believe the good news. Jesus Christ is good enough, and He will be what God wants through me. He is all that I need. It's amazing. We're going to continue on that theme this morning in Genesis chapter, in Philippians chapter 3. We're not going to start in Genesis and work our way through. You have to admit, it is indicative that Paul the Apostle was Baptist when he starts the middle of the book by saying, finally, brethren. That's how you know. Finally. And he says in verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same thing to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. He said, It doesn't bother me to repeat myself, because I would rather you be safe than sorry. And so he is going to remind them of something he's already told them. To write the same things to you, to me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Here it is. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. The Holy Spirit is directing the Apostle here to write to the Philippians some things that they already know, the foundational truths of biblical Christianity in the book of Philippians here, chapter number 3. And uh, the truth is... It's not always interesting to hear the things that I already know. I'd like to hear something new. But he said, it's important for you, it's safe for you to hear some things that you've already known quite well. And the verses here in 1, 2, and 3 suggest to us that joy is founded on sound doctrine. How crazy is that? Joy is found in a Snickers bar for me. Yeah, but it's interesting. Snickers bar comes and goes, and it makes my throat raspy. The joy of Jesus Christ is eternal, and it's founded on words. Words. The words of God. And it's interesting here that he says it's the joy, he says in verse 1, rejoice in the Lord. He talks about rejoicing in Christ Jesus. And we know that throughout the book of Philippians, how to have joy through the mind of Christ no matter what. Easy to say, hard to live. How to have joy through the mind of Christ. So you buy a book online or, or you go to the help self-improvement section and Whatever bookstores left in America, they're all disappearing. And you, and you find that, and you read what they say, and that woman or man's mind becomes your mind, and you attempt to have joy through the mind of that person. Do you follow what I'm saying? Or maybe you, you do it the modern way. You get on YouTube and you watch your certain YouTuber. And you watch every video that they upload. And you are taking what they think and you're adopting it in order to have joy. Well, the Lord is way ahead of that. He's been telling us forever, you can have joy through how I think no matter what. And that's what the book of Philippians is really all about. 
to a, a group of believers who are not only persecuted, but concerned about Paul, who is in jail at the time. He's saying, you can have joy. Now, I know there's some really smart people out there, like Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung, psychologists par excellence, who couldn't figure out how to keep themselves happy in their own lives, but knew how to tell everybody else on the planet for succeeding generations why their lives are miserable and what they needed to fix it. How about this? How about we just stick with the eternal words of God who never fails? That's what we have available to us. And what he's telling you here is, if you really want to have joy, not just feel good when you come to church, but really have joy on Tuesday afternoon or on Wednesday. What does the world call Wednesday? What do you need to get over the hump for? Everybody's miserable. TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. Hang in there till the weekend. Everybody's miserable. By the way, isn't it nice to have a job that makes money? I think that's a pretty decent idea. It's good. But the world tells us you can't be happy even with that. In fact, it's going to work that makes you unhappy. So what do I want to do? Go home and be miserable all night. So I got to go out and hang out with friends who don't care and don't love me. Right? It just continues. So here's how to have joy. It's not you having joy. It's God having joy through you, through the mind of Christ. And he gives us some things to be careful of. He says, beware. Beware of these joy-killing people. Here in verse number 2. He says, first of all, beware of the carnal. He says, beware of dogs. Now, we should certainly beware of dogs. There are people here that are afraid of dogs. Now, he's not talking about the four-legged furry creatures, but it is interesting to know that Americans spend 62% more on dog food than they do on baby food. And it's also interesting to know that, uh, and part of that is because baby food is cheaper than dog food. Am I right? And maybe dogs eat more than babies do. I don't know. But, but, but it's also due to the fact that there are 70, 70, around 70 million dogs that are owned in America, contrasted with 40, about 55 million children under the age of five. That's a crazy stat, isn't it? There are a whole bunch more dogs than there are babies. That ought to tell us a little bit about what we value in our country nowadays. Uh, I, but just so you know, I think babies are more important than dogs. And I, we have a little dachshund, and she's great, and she's weird, and she's, you know, stubborn as a mule. She is German, after all. And, uh, you know, but I'll tell you this. If that dog starts messing with my life, she's gone in an instant. And I tell my wife that all the time. We're not going to roast her and eat her. I mean, she's a wiener dog, but we're not going to <laughs> roast her. But... You don't have to have that. Now, I understand. That's a nice thing. Some people, it's great for companionship and all the rest of that. But I will say this to you, and I'm going against the, the uh, vast majority, the big percentage of Americans would disagree with me on this. But there's, as far as I can see, there's only one positive mention of the word dog in the Bible, and that is the greyhound. And I, I don't know anybody that has a greyhound. There's one of the ugliest dogs I've ever seen, but that's, you, you can love them. I grew up on a greyhound, but still, you understand what I mean. <laughs> Uh, it, you just keep that in mind, in the back of your mind, you know. Just keep that in your mind. 
Make sure we don't, you know, worship and serve the creature more than the creator, if you will. Something to think of. But, but that's not what he's talking about. He's, he's talking here about a particular class of human beings. He said, beware of dogs. Beware of the dog people. Beware of the carnal people. Let's take our Bibles and look at 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 19. Paul is referring to folks here in verse 19 of 2 Peter 2. It says, while they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For whom, of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought into bondage. 2 Peter 2.20, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein, watch, they escaped and then they got entangled and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning, for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it, escaped it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. There's your dog. Dogs are disgusting. You say, not mine. Well, that's because you spend a lot of time training to be humans. But you turn your back, and there are going to be dogs again. When a dog has something in his belly, try to be very delicate here. When a dog has something in his belly that, that makes it sick, he tries to get rid of that thing. And so he gets rid of it. Why? It's making him sick. And then, being a dog, he goes right back to the thing that made him sick, and he takes it in again. That's what Paul is warning these believers about. He said, you know what kills joy? Dog people kill joy. People who act like dogs, the carnal Believers, carnal believers, unsaved people do this as well. But you know, a lot of times Christians don't hang out with unsaved people. They hang out with saved people because they know there's just something different. But a carnal believer is someone who's forgotten that he was purged from his old sins, that he's escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. He used to do a bunch of bad junk, but now he's banking on the character. He's banking on the goodness and how his life has changed, and how he forgot about getting hang, hang, having hangovers, and he, and he forgot about uh, being up in debt up to his eyeballs, and he forgot all that junk that comes with just living a life wide open, doing whatever your flesh wants, and so he, he goes back, he starts going back to it. We're told here to beware of people who have escaped the things of the world through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, but they haven't ever escaped what they are in their old nature. Something important to remember as a believer, there's a part of you that doesn't care about the things of God. Hates God, matter of fact. And I won't come out and say it because it's scared, because it's superstitious. But there's a part of you that doesn't want to be here this morning, doesn't want to spend the time. The old nature says, I got better things to do. I don't care about that stuff. That old nature is a part of every believer here this morning. Your old nature, I'm, I'm happy to tell you this. I'm happy to tell you. Your old nature never got saved and never will get saved. I'm happy to tell you that because it's important that you realize 
that you are Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You are two different natures, so to speak. It's important to know that. Why? So you don't have to be surprised when you want to do stuff that you know is wrong. Paul said, be careful. You know what will kill your joy? Being carnal will kill your joy. You can't rejoice in Christ when you're rejoicing in the vomit that you threw up. Every chance these folks had, they went back to their old way of living. The Lord said, you've got to beware of those who are saved but are living in the flesh. They're saved, but they're living as if they were not saved. You know, you've heard people say, I remember Pastor Sal used to say this quite a bit, be careful when your wedding ring is the only thing that reminds you that you're married. Christian, be careful when the church building is the only thing that reminds you that you're saved. When you're trying to live a life as much as you can wide open to the flesh, and then you got to kind of change it up when you get to church to make sure that you don't lose your street cred with the believers. You're living a life of a carnal dog. And then he tells us in, in, in Philippians chapter 3, he says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers. I call these the carnalizers. They're not just happy living in carnality. They want to carnalize other people. They find joy in carnalizing Christians. These are people who work in an evil way. Look, if you would, at 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, just to the right, a couple, I don't know how many pages. Verse 14, chapter 4, verse 14, 2 Timothy 4, 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. He was an evil worker. Of whom be thou ware also. For he hath greatly withstood our words. These are the carnalizers, the competitors, the gamers, the schemers, the strategists. People who are trying to figure out how to resist what they know is the truth. Now, for whatever whatever reason, a dog goes back to take back in what he put out. He doesn't do it because he's mad at his owner. He does it because it's what is in his nature to do it. But the evil workers are going beyond just the junk that their flesh craves. They're actually trying to work evil. They're trying to figure out how to make this thing happen. And Paul said the example of someone working evil, he tells us in other places, Alexander said, resurrection is past already, who overthrew the faith of some. They were basically saying, stop Stop worrying about living this spiritual life. Just, just enjoy your life. Whatever Paul said, Alexander stood against him. We've got to watch out for those people like that. We've got to watch out for ourselves. If you find yourself saying, well, I don't think that's really in the Bible. I don't think that's really true. I don't know. I don't agree. You constantly push back and withstand words of the, of the word of God. Be careful about that. What's it going to do? It's going to cause you to overthrow the faith of some. It's going to cause irritation and, and, and a holding back of God's work in people's lives. 
But something else it's going to do, it's going to kill your joy. You know, along these lines are people, I, I think of Christian comedians. You've got to watch Christian comedians. Why? You know, they're, they're, they're not big enough to make it in the secular world. So they come after Christians. And what do comedians do best? Most of them, they criticize things that people can relate to. Like, oh, that's hilarious. I saw a guy who was uh, critiquing grocery, grocery employees, grocery, grocery store employees. Is this mic on? It's not on. Uh-huh. Okay, how's that? Okay, do you feel the power? Okay. Put your hand on your Bible. All right, here we go. This grocery store employee, and he was like, you know, you come up and ask, uh, do you have jalapenos? And he's like, okay, um, what kind? You know, and then they, they said, uh, they go, um, okay, hon, what do you want exactly? You know, and, and, and just critiquing these employees that work at, you know, and then like, yeah, tell you what, come with me. I'll be back, Louisa. I'll be back. And it was hilarious. Why? Because it was hilarious to me because I've been there. You know, when you ask for something and the people act like, okay, I guess we have to let people in the store now then. And then, you know, like I'm bothering them for helping them be paid, you know, to have a life and so forth. But, but there's a place for humor, and I love humor, but we have to be careful with this because... Because the Bible talks about those who are uh, foolish jesters. And I'll give you an example of this. Someone who, who makes fun of everything in the church, who makes fun of, of Christian people, and makes fun of how people sing or praise the Lord or push that envelope, and it's okay because they're not cussing. You follow what I'm saying? We've got to be careful of this stuff. Evil workers. Why? He, he said that Alexander greatly withstood our words. People who are looking to critique and, and cut down. People make fun of me. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me. It really doesn't because I know I have idiosyncrasies. My wife said something the other day. She said something about me using the word emphasis. She said, you always use the word emphasis. Well, I said, well, I'm, I, I, I guess the emphasis for me is... <laughs> Right? I mean, it's true. We all have things to make fun of, but we've got to be careful that we're not carnalizing believers. See, if you grew up in church, you kind of sometimes think that you're above everything, that you know how it all goes. It's not true. Because the, the, the things of God are spiritual, they're not carnal. Be careful that you're not working evil by withstanding that which is true and right and putting yourself in a place of superiority. It's the opposite. It's a work of the flesh. He says next, he says next, first beware of the carnal, beware of carnalizers, and then, forgive me, beware of choppers. He said, beware of the concision. These are people who find joy in self-righteousness. Now, trying to be uh, as, as careful here as I can, but, but circumcision, you understand, it is a visible outward symbol of what God intended to do with his people, the Jews. It was the symbol of a covenant relationship. He had them be circumcised 
for the purpose of reminding themselves that they were covenanted with God. They had some of the flesh cut away to say, I'm not my own, I belong to God. But the, but the Israelites here had no, and in the Old Testament, it's a common theme, they had no interest in a covenant relationship with God, personally. But at the same time, they gloried in the symbol of the covenant. It's almost as if somebody wants to go out and just have a wedding ring, even though they're not married. Even though they run around on their spouse, they, they just want to have this symbol. The symbol doesn't mean anything if the reality isn't there. It's not just, I want everybody to think that I have a relationship, but I want to do whatever I want. That's what the Jews were doing. They, they wanted this, this metaphor, and they were proud of being circumcised. And yet they didn't care to have a relationship with God. And, and the Holy Spirit uses a word here that's, that's a play on the word circumcision. And it's kind of a twisted, just like what circumcision had become, it's like a twisted word, concision. It literally means a cutting away, a mutilation. What does that mean? He's talking about these Jewish wannabe teachers who were infiltrating to uh, churches and they were saying, if you're going to be right with God, if you're going to be saved, you have to first of all be circumcised. Now, I, I kind of think that that would thin out the ranks of believers here this morning if we were to say, you are not saved unless you're circumcised. But there are people saying that. You've got you've to get this taken care of. And who you do, you ain't in. And Paul said, they're just the concision. They're just mutilators. They're choppers. What are they trying to do? They're trying to earn salvation by starting on the outside and working in. You see, whereas the carnal and the carnalizers are more about working on their, allowing their flesh to run the show, these guys are more concerned about looking good on the outside. Superior righteousness. Salvation is not earned by some physical thing that you do, by some money that you give, by some dunk in the water that you take. Salvation is a gift from God. You know what the hardest thing about salvation is? Coming to the point where you realize you deserve to go to hell, but God has offered you a free gift that you've done nothing to earn. You talk about embarrassing and vulnerable. Until you come to the place where you bow your knee to God and say, God, there's nothing I can do. I can't join Hope Baptist Church and get to heaven. I can't get baptized. I can't cut my hair. I can't change my wardrobe. I can't do anything to get me to heaven. I accept what you've done for me, period. When you find that Jesus Christ is all you have, you find that Jesus Christ is all you ever needed. Salvation is yours as a free gift. Aren't you glad of that? Because even if it only cost a dollar, there's a lot of people in the universe, in this world, that couldn't afford it. But he made it free. It, free does not mean cheap. Oh, not by a, any stretch. It was the most valuable possession that God the Father had. His son, but he allowed his son and the son willingly gave himself as an offering 
for your sins and for mine. Now, Jesus Christ offers us not only forgiveness from sin, but his very righteousness. What's your resume compared to other people's resume? What if you could say, I've got the resume of someone like a Steve Jobs. I've got the resume of someone like an Elon Musk. I've done all these things. Well, your resume would probably be superior to mine if you could say that. What if your resume spiritually was the resume of Christ himself, the resume of the Son of God? That's his righteousness, and he offers it to you as a free gift. Whether or not you ever join this church, whether or not you ever start into discipleship here or involved in these ministries that are very important, whether or not you ever do any of that has nothing to do whatsoever with whether you can know for sure you're going to heaven. Salvation is a free gift. But there were people coming along saying, well, yeah, salvation is a free gift after you get circumcised. Because that proves to God that you're serious. Once you do this, then you're in the covenant relationship. And Paul said, no, no, no. All you're doing is hacking and chopping on the flesh. Focusing on outward signs of righteousness. By the way, you can't make something true on the inside by chopping up the outside. How about ask ask the folks who transitioned from man to woman or woman to man and now regret it. You know what they say? I was lied to. I listened to lies. I believed lies. And now I wish I had never done it, but it's too late. You know what that is? That's trying to change the inside by working on the outside. And Paul said here, beware Beware of those who want to fix you from the outside in. Hey, church, we've got to be careful of this. We've got to be careful of this. Does God care what a person looks like on the outside? Absolutely. But he doesn't save the outside. He doesn't save the flesh. He saves the spirit and soul. And he's going to change our vile body to be made like into his glorious body at the rapture, at the resurrection. So you and I are not saved because of what we change on the outside. We're saved because of what Jesus changes on the inside. And then over time, that does affect what we are on the outside. But we've got to be very careful that we don't fall in with the concision here that say, well, as long as she looks like that, she's good to go. The Bible says, let it be that hidden man of the heart. The Lord's looking to change you from the inside out. You know what? Sometimes some of us are like, I don't care what anybody does or says or whatever they put in their body or put on their body. doesn't matter to me. That's great. Be careful. You might be a carnalizer. You might be just looking to bring other people to your particular plate of carnal activity. Junk that you like in your flesh. And if you get more people in your posse, then you don't have to feel bad. But there is a, a mirror image of that that can show up in church itself. And that's people who want to get a bunch of people in their posse to look good on the outside so that you can, all of us are better than everybody else. Be careful. Paul said, beware of those things. That will kill your joy. If you define yourself by the flesh, whether it's grade A flesh or nasty, disgusting flesh, it's still the flesh. It's still the flesh. And Paul says, beware. Back to Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, he says, here's how to rejoice in the Lord. 
He started off by saying, finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. You've got to be careful of these people. They'll kill your joy. But here's how you do it. Verse 3, for we are the circumcision. Notice that this is rejoicing in the Lord is standing in contrast to trusting or confiding the flesh. Rejoicing in the Lord refers to the object of our joy. He didn't just say, Christian, be happy. He said, rejoice in the Lord. In the Lord. The object of my joy has got to be Jesus himself. Now watch this. It starts with who we are as believers. This is steps to joy. If you need joy, this is how you get it. Look at Colossians chapter 2. Just one book to the right, Colossians chapter 2. He says in verse number 6. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. The same way that you receive Christ is the way that you walk in Christ. Not by your, your own hard works, good works, and things that you do that are so hard. No, you received it as a gift. Now walk in the gift of Christ's life. Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men. There's your carnal. After the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is the total package of God in Jesus Christ bodily. Verse 10, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. In whom also ye are circumcised with the, with the circumcision made without hands. This is not a physical circumcision. It's spiritual. What does it look like? In putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. What does it look like? Here's the colon notice, verse 12. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. It starts, rejoicing in the Lord starts with recognizing who we are, who I am in Christ. Okay, what, is this, what does this mean? Well, I, I thought about the fact that we have uh, several people who have recently had children. Think of the Simons. The, uh, the Intimates had uh, uh, just a couple, couple weeks ago. And then yesterday, the Snows, they had a little baby boy. Now, they're, they're, they were alive in the womb, but their earthly life did not start until their flesh was cut away from their mother. I'll never forget when the doctor handed me whatever those things were, little snips, and said, do you want to cut the umbilical cord? And I have to tell you, it felt a little weird. It's, in my mind, I'm thinking, do I want to cut my child? Or do I want to cut something off of my wife? No. I mean, it's, it's scissors. It's what they were. And he said, here, you can have it. You know what he was doing? He was beginning, he was giving me the opportunity to begin their identity on this earth. Now, they were alive beforehand, I get that. But I don't know anybody that's five years old that's still tied to his mom. 
You see, what God has done for you in Christ is he's taken that old identity that you were connected with, the flesh, and Christ himself cut it loose from your new identity. Now, unfortunately, you still have that old identity with you. It's called the flesh. But you also now have a new identity that's called the Spirit of God in you. We call it the new nature. So why, as a believer, do you struggle watching that stuff? Why do you have that constant desire? Because that old nature hasn't changed. It wants to do what it wants to do. But here is the miracle that God's performed for those in Christ. He has, he has performed spiritual circumcision. He has cut loose the spirit and soul from the body. So you are, in a sense, kind of like bouncing around inside of there. There is nothing your flesh wants that it can make you do. You got to keep this in mind, believers. Well, I can't help myself. If you're saved, that's not true. That old nature, you have the opportunity to say no. Why? Because you have been spiritually circumcised, disconnected. No one can make you do it. You see, these young infants, these young little humans that are growing up in these wonderful homes, they could never really enjoy their true identity as long as they were stuck to mom. But now because they are unstuck, they now have an opportunity to be a separate human. You and I, spiritually speaking, we have the ability to live out a new identity in Christ because of the spiritual circumcision. So Paul starts out by saying, number one, we are the circumcision. Not, not somebody that went down at, at eight days old and had this ceremony accomplished by their mom and dad and, 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 and the rabbi. No, no, no. It, we're talking about spiritual circumcision. That doesn't just take care of the outward manifestation. The outward symbol takes care of the reality inside. The reality so number one, I've got to remember, Jesus Christ not only can save a man from his sin, but he can separate a man from his sin. In order for me to rejoice in Christ, I've got to know my true identity. It's found in Christ. I have liberty in Christ, but it's not liberty to keep on sinning. It's liberty to stop sinning now. I don't have to do it. Carnal Christians say, well, show me in the Bible where I can't sin. They don't say sin. They say particular exercise that they don't think is sin. No, it's, you're getting it backwards. You can do whatever you want. But if you're created to bring glory to God, what happens when your flesh says, I don't want to? I don't want to bring glory to God. You now have the liberty to say, I don't have to do what you wanna, want, old brat. Close your mouth. I'm, and the Bible uses it even stronger. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. I'm crucified with Christ. My old man is dead. I don't have to listen to that brat anymore. I have the liberty of bringing glory to my God because he cut loose that umbilical cord no longer needed. He says, number one, it says it starts with who we are. We are the circumcision. Back to Philippians chapter 3. He says, we are the circumcision, verse number 3, which worship God in the spirit. 
Worship God in the spirit. We talked about worship this morning. God is a spirit. And if I'm going to worship him, I must worship him in spirit and in truth. And, and notice, it's worshiping God. It's, it's not just being spiritual. It's worshiping God. They that worship him must worship him. You see, you can have the right Bible, but without God, it'll make you a hypocrite. You can have the right church, and without God, you'll be miserable. You can have the right songbook. Without God, it'll be a ritual. We have to get beyond just acting like a Christian when other Christians are around. And we have to move into living a life of worship where we are devoted to the Lord. Devoted. You know, growing up, I was told, rightfully so, to have my devotions. But no one can make you have devotion to God. That's something that comes from your heart. You can make somebody sit down, and you can ask them what they've read, and you can make someone kneel down and and, and at least go through the motions of praying, but you can't make someone be devoted to God. This is where rejoicing in the Lord comes from. It comes from recognizing that I have a new nature. And number two, I have an opportunity, the privilege as a priest, worshiping God in the Spirit. He says, worship God. Worship is spelled D-E-V-O-T-I-O-N. Devotion. Not just devotions. Devoted to God. Do you have a time in your life and your week where you sit down and your heart is devoted to God? Reading your Bible is very important. In fact, you can't really devote your heart to God without the Bible. You can't know God without the Bible. But may I remind you that just reading this book does not necessarily mean you are devoting your heart to God. Worship God in the Spirit. Number three, he says, we rejoice in Christ Jesus. Worship comes first and then rejoicing. What is that? It means being occupied with the joy of knowing Jesus. Do you remember when you first met your spouse and how you were just delighted with the thought that that person knew you and cared about you and you were infatuated with that person? It's, 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 it's being infatuated with Jesus Christ. Now, you can't rejoice in the Lord if you're infatuated with the flesh. I mean, it makes it really hard for me to care about Jesus when I care about name the pop star or the actor or the blogger or the podcaster. It's really hard for me to be infatuated with Jesus when I'm infatuated with somebody else. And so that's why he says, beware of these people. He said, because don't forget, you are spiritually circumcised. And you can worship God in the spirit. You can devote your very heart to him and very, very mind. And he says, we worship God in the spirit. And he, and he says, we rejoice in Christ Jesus. You can't rejoice in God until you're worshiping him. See, what we heard this morning as we're singing these songs, we're looking at the words, we're hearing the choir, and it's reminding us of what Christ has done. No one else did that. He did it. 
He's worthy of our praise. And it causes my heart to say, I like him. In fact, it's more than like. I love him. And I revere him. And I adore him. And I worship him. He's the best. I have to lift him up in my heart. And more properly, I have to acknowledge how high he has already been exalted. And when I start to see that, I realize I love Jesus. I like to read biographies. I like to read history. I like to study different people that are in, in, in popular culture and where do they come from and how do they get there. And uh, all the different people that I've looked at and studied and watched after and seen their, heard their songs or seen their movies or read their books, I can tell you this, no one holds a candle to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. There's no one that does. No preacher I've ever heard. Sometimes I've heard them that lift me up and what a blessing it is. I thank God for them. But there is no man, there's no woman that's ever revealed to me the majesty, the power, the amazing miracles that he can do. No one else is like him. No one else. And when you begin to rejoice in Jesus Christ, now you start to understand what he says there in the last thing. He says, rejoicing in Christ, that comes before the abandonment of self-confidence. He said, I have no confidence in the flesh. None. By the way, if you're, if you're caught up with the flesh and you're stuck on some habit, some addiction that you can't shake free, you're wrapped up in the flesh. If you're caught up in denying your flesh and putting it down and saying no, you're still caught up with the flesh. Both sides are wrong. He said, I have no confidence in the flesh. And he goes on to talk about how he had ability to, he he could talk about stuff that was good flesh in chapter 3. He said, I've got a good resume, spiritually speaking, but I have no confidence in the flesh. You know what happens to a lot of Christians? They they say, I don't have any confidence in in, in getting to heaven through my flesh. But then they live their lives through confidence in their flesh. He said, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. What are you trusting in? Are you trusting in your, how long you've been saved? Are, are you trusting in how many people in your family are saved? You see, you didn't always have those things. But the flesh has a way of fighting it at first, and then when it can't fight it, it joins it and says, you know what? I'm actually a pretty good person. Be careful. Paul said, beware of people that want to drag you back into some type of confidence in the flesh. You won't be able to rejoice in the Lord if you think you're better than everybody else. Why? You're rejoicing in yourself. But if you say, I have no confidence, whether bad or good, I don't trust myself. I don't trust myself. Well, if you can't trust yourself, who can? Well, you must not know a lot about humans. You've got to be wary of that old man. You've got to mistrust. You say, well, I've been doing good so far. I'm not like I used to be. I'm different. I don't do the bad stuff I used to do. Be careful. You're not going to heaven because of your good works. And you don't have any righteousness of your own. You have the righteousness only of Jesus Christ. My job is to reflect his righteousness. Worship comes first. Then rejoicing. When I'm rejoicing in Christ... It's so much easier for me to say, I don't trust that old nature. Our flesh had nothing to do with our salvation. 
And it has nothing to do with our security. My flesh wants me to have confidence in it, to trust it. But it's no better than it ever was. My flesh is no holier than it was, has no more righteousness than it ever did. My flesh is my flesh. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Paul said, I looked, I tried to find a way to obey God and make my flesh obey God. I couldn't do it. Why? Because flesh is not going to fight flesh. The way to get victory over worldliness is not to spend your life occupied with the flesh, either living after the flesh or wrestling the flesh. The way to get victory, the way to succeed is to be occupied with the lovely Lord Jesus. To get busy worshiping the Lord and rejoicing in Jesus. You can't worship the Lord if the first thing you reach for in your life is your phone. You can't worship the Lord if the first thing you reach in your life is to fill some desire of your flesh. And that's all that you do. And you keep saying, Lord, I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to get with you. Don't worry. We'll get some Bible in there. You're not really devoted to the Lord. What would your kids say if you were, I'll feed you, I'll feed you, I'll feed you, I'll feed you. At some point... You start to question whether the, the parent really loves the child. At some point, believers, we have to watch our hearts. Are we wrapped up so much in our carnal desires that we have no desire to worship God in spirit? That we have no desire to rejoice in the one who saved us. We're more excited about the sale going on. We're more excited about the game than we are Jesus Christ. What we have to do is this. We have to look at that flesh and say, hey, you may like watching this game. You may like shopping. You may like coffee. You may like this movie. You may like listening to that. You may like wearing that. But I'll tell you one thing. You ain't running this show. And I'm going to prove it for you today by not giving you what you want. You say, that sounds like, no, 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 no. That's putting the flesh in the back seat and saying, we're going where we go. Now you be quiet. You know what you're going to find? You get behind that wheel, you're going to find freedom to go wherever the Holy Spirit of God wants you to go. You're going to find joy flooding your heart. You're going to find the Spirit of God filling you and causing you to say, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Boy, thank God for coffee. Thank God for football. Thank God for food. It's great. But I'm telling you, it's only temporary. I'm connected with Jesus Christ, who said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. The Lord's calling us to so much more. He wants us to worship him and rejoice in the Lord. My flesh can cry out. But eventually, it's going to get pushed back so far, I can hardly hear its voice over the sounds of praise and joy and my rejoicing in the Lord. Let's bow our heads in prayer this morning.